On tonight's show of Misbehaved Liberty, we stand up to the patriarchy by altering Japanese cartoons. Welcome to the zany world of Jamie Marshy, anime localization, and good old progressive imperialism. Good evening, good morning, wherever you may be and whatever you may be doing, thank you for joining me. Today we're going to be talking about localization. Localization now is the process of translating and adapting a foreign IP for a domestic audience. More than just a literal translation, though, localization needs to maintain the tone, characterizations, and emotions of the original work while making it relatable for a new audience. And don't even get me started on what it's like to switch idioms from one language to another. While all this sounds straightforward enough, but it's 2024, and as we all know, nothing is ever this easy. Not with the alphabet soup crowd screaming about their preferred pronouns out in the hallway. The concerns with localization is where does interpretation end and alteration begin? It's absurd that we have to even have this conversation, but we live in a world where those who wish they could create feel the need to change the words, themes, and characterizations of those who do create in order to force all media to fit the progressive narrative. Now, you know exactly who I'm talking about. White, liberal, handful of zannies in the purse, and a battalion of empty wine bottles set up on the counter. Our girl boss hero is going to save the world one brunch conversation about inclusion and representation at a time, because nothing screams inclusion like Crab's Benedict and bottomless mimosas. Now that there, that's the cue for our hero's grand entrance tonight. Welcome to Jamie Marshy. Her likes include standing up to the patriarchy, calling critics misogynist Nazis, and progressive imperialism. After all, someone has to protect delicate domestic audiences from problematic Japanese authors. For those who don't know, Jamie Marshy is an American voice actress, ADR director, and scriptwriter. She holds a Bachelor of Arts in Theater from the University of Tennessee, and one has to assume that's where she first encountered the philosophies swirling around textual interpretation, literary criticism, and specifically for our discussion, cultural Marxism. I can already feel the eye rolls from here. I can almost hear the angry keyboard warriors dashing to the comment section, fingers crashing violently onto abused keyboards, raining down a veritable monsoon of misspelled, poorly capitalized diatrops, incensed refutations of my use of cultural Marxism. It doesn't exist, they exclaim with all the righteous indignation their BA in gender studies and casual perusal of the New York Times opinion page allows for. To be sure, the American right has made something of a bugbear out of cultural Marxism. They use it as a generic catch-all phrase for ideologies, political movements, and philosophies spanning the leftist spectrum, from third-wave feminism, political correctness, and identity politics all the way over to fetishism, materialism, and white privilege. 
The list of what is shoved under the cultural Marxism umbrella seems to grow exponentially, expanding with practically every news cycle. This creates so much noise around the term, it becomes difficult to nail down a specific meaning. And with no specific meaning, it is that much more difficult to articulate what it is and why it matters. Cultural Marxism has its origins in literary theory and can be inadequately, but functionally for our discussion, summed up as the relationship of culture to class, power, and race. Often that relationship plays out as adversarial. The theory itself is just an analytical tool, but the application of the theory is what most concerns us. Cultural Marxism, as applied by your average leftist, seeks to recast all of society into an us-versus-them mentality. They seek to tear down, discredit, alter, or otherwise change society through casting it as those with power versus those without. If you have any sort of success, you're privileged and part of the system of oppression, while if you are unable to succeed, you're being kept down by a system that discredits your undoubtedly important contributions because of race, gender, sexual orientation, etc., and so forth and so on. The list, folks, the list never ends. We, we, know, we know we're well aware that that list never ends. It seems every day something else is added to the list of oppressed peoples. Instead of striving for excellence... We're being conditioned as a society to settle for mediocrity. You're in the middle class? Well, good for you. But that's only because you oppress the working class. You're wealthy? Congratulations. But that's only because you're a racist, white, male, capitalist pig. I mean, did you think it was for any other reason? You're working class? Oh, well, I'm sorry, but that's not your fault. You, you deserve more for just being you. You deserve what others have worked for because that, that's equitable justice right there. You're a victim of the system. The fact you have no marketable skills or talents is immaterial to your victimhood. It's not your fault. It's the white colonial patriarchal power structure that's keeping you down. But what does a discussion or what does a broad definition of cultural Marxism have to do with Japanese manga and anime localization? Well, nothing happens in a vacuum, and the fight over translation and localization has been going on for years, and is garnering attention now because of a perfect storm between YouTube creators, the purposeful distortions made by some localizers, the rise and use of AI in translating manga, the growing audience that Japanese manga and anime reaches, and, of course, the revenue that's being generated by it. Manga and anime has been growing year over year in popularity with American audiences. Now, I, I don't know if any of you out there read comics or not, but if you've seen what's been going on with American comics lately, specifically Marvel and DC, it's not hard to see why manga and anime have been growing in popularity. Far from race-swapping characters, far from shoehorning in girl bosses and gender-fluid this and binary that, the Japanese manga and anime are very different stories told in a much different way than we're used to with traditional American comics.
Now, it was only 15 or 20 years ago where the majority of anime available in the United States was subbed instead of dubbed. Subbed is when the subtitles are on the movie that you're watching and the language spoken is still the original language. Whereas dubs are when the language itself has been changed and an entire cast of voice actors has been brought in to reshoot the sound for the movie. But by dubbing the dialogue, anime reaches a much wider audience. I mean, how many people out there have thought about watching a foreign movie that they might have seen on Netflix, but stopped when they realized that they would have had to sit there and read the subtitles for the entire two and a half hour movie? I know I've done that plenty of times. So when by dubbing, anime reaches a much wider audience, and that's caused consternation for some. Manga and anime are Japanese art forms, and as a result, they conform to Japanese culture and societal norms, norms that many in the West dislike, and in some cases, outright disdain. The growth in popularity created an opening for liberal localizers to imprint their own political beliefs on a foreign art form. Jamie Marshy, in particular, is unapologetic about her material alterations of the source material. Source material she does not own, she did not create. Source material written to reflect a foreign culture, a culture that clearly she apparently cares little for. If she cared for the culture, she would be less concerned with putting her political beliefs in their shows than she would with accurately portraying their shows to an American audience. But here we go. She's the great white savior, bringing altered foreign art to American audiences. She's a crusader standing up to misogynists, Nazis, and the patriarchy in order to stand up for her fandom. But it's not her fandom. The fandom exists because an author and an artist created the characters. The fandom doesn't exist because Jamie Marshy misdubbed some dialogue. Do you, do you see that here? But things like intellectual property, ownership rights, and creation are details she won't be bothered with. Now let's listen to this clip here on how she addressed concerns about mistakes and alterations in English dubs. This is from a panel discussion at SAC Anime during the summer of 2018. It's a stroll of power, and I appreciate it. Well, uh, I'm kind of scared to ask this question now because I don't want to bring down the room. Um, so okay. this is more directed at Jamie, but all of you can answer. Go, Jamie, all of you go. I'm excited like, uh, about it. I'm ready to bring down the room. Let's do it. We need a spotlight. So Funimation has come under, let's call it criticism oh, for criticism. how they choose to adapt their scripts. Oh, for like a unnecessary hate. Yeah, got it. Yeah. Um, and a lot of that I feel is directed at you unfairly. Thank and, you. Uh, <laughs> So how, how would you like to respond to that kind of criticism? To the criticism? Like, I have a vagina. Deal with it. That's Jamie speaking now. Like, it's honestly, that's the truth. Uh, I am a woman. I am a funny woman. We are all talented, funny, powerful women. We are out here. It's going to happen. Deal with it. I'm sorry you're not getting laid. It's not about you. Move on. I'm not sure what that's any of that has to do with the question that was asked, but right. we, we deflect. That's, that's you know. <laughs> but thank you. Anybody else have anything to add? To I think you nailed it. Okay, great. <laughs> of course they do. Thank you for allowing me to say that. She does? Yes. Hello. You get a lot of hate online. Oh. 
Oh my god, it's ridiculous. I'm and, sorry, I but also like she just told me that happened. Oh yeah, we'll talk about it later. But here's my feeling. Anytime I make like if I'm making misogynists and Nazis angry, then I'm doing all right. Because <laughs> we don't, I mean, honestly, we don't want them associated with our fandom. It's not they her fandom. They're not representative of us, and they will stand out and try to own this fandom. And I'm like, you don't realize these are amazing people with lots of backgrounds and lots of different cultures and, and just an amazing array of, of strength and power within them. And you do not represent the people I know. So just, I feel strongly about it. <laughs> now th there's a lot that can be said about that little clip there, but first I really want to look at the fandom issue. It's not her fandom that, that she keeps saying our fandom, my fandom, the fandom, the fandom, the fandom is, a result of the work put in by the authors and artists, the Japanese authors and artists. It's their fandom because it's their works. It's not your fandom. And what you're doing is you're misrepresenting their works to their own fans. <sighs> but there you have it. That's, that's her in her own words. That's what she thinks about criticism and critics. That's what she feels is important. I mean, not only did she deflect and fail to answer the question, but she, she felt the need to bring up that she has a vagina and that her critics are, of course, all misogynists and Nazis. I'm shocked to hear that coming out of her mouth. But notice how no one else on that panel, there were five other people on that panel, by the way, but notice how no one else on that panel, presumably well-known representatives of their industry, since they are all sitting on the panel, no one else jumped in to try to actually answer the question. They all sat by and they let Jamie deflect and they let her attack the critics and say whatever the hell she wanted to say rather than attempting to address what was a serious question. The question was about misrepresentations in their work. And instead of actually answering the question and instead of actually trying to move the conversation forward, they just deflected and talked about themselves. I, are, are any of these people concerned? Well, we'll actually never know if any of the other people up there are concerned because their queen bee answered for them. And why does she sound like a teenager, though? We were listening to the same clip. I doubt very much I was the only one who noticed her voice inflection, her choice of words, her cadence, etc. It all sounded like she's about 14 or 15 years old. But back in 2018... What? She's 46 now. So back in 2018, she would have been 40 or 41. She does not sound like she's speaking with a 41-year-old's professionalism or a 41-year-old's ability to command language. She sounds like a teenager. This right here, folks, this is the queen bee of the high school theater department. We all know the type. She's theater hot. She couldn't quite cut it as a cheerleader but she fits right in surrounded by Simpson sycophants. She's the type of obnoxious girl. Now hear me out on this, right? She's the type of obnoxious girl where you go to any Denny's in America in a college town at two in the morning. And this is the girl that you find belting out show tunes when everyone is just there trying to eat their grand slam and go to sleep. That's, that's exactly who this is. But, you know, not that there's anything wrong with theater girls. I could do an entire episode on theater girls, but I'll just quickly say this. If you like theater girls, 
get yourself a nice crew girl, maybe someone who does lights or sound, less drama, doesn't need to be the center of attention all the time, more emotionally stable, and probably more interesting. Just tip of pro advice right there. Go for the crew girls. But but that clip, I clearly Jamie feels the need to be the center of attention. She needs to be validated. She needs you to know that she's hotter, smarter, and better than you. If you don't believe it, ah, that's fine. It's because you're a misogynist or a Nazi or an incel, or better yet, you're all the above. It's no surprise localization is such a mess with people like this in charge of the job. It also shouldn't come as any sort of a shock that someone who sounds like a narcissist also acts like a narcissist. Talking about the fandom as if it's her fandom. Talking about the, the like, completely ignoring the question. Like, everything she does doesn't stink. She's the savior. But think about what she's really saying. Now, this is, this is where it gets interesting, because not only does she know what her audience wants, not only does she know her critics are wrong, but she also knows that the original intent of the Japanese authors, predominantly men, by the way, is problematic and deserving of change. Now, wait a minute. They're not her characters. She didn't create them. She didn't write their stories. She didn't ink the, their images. She played no part in their creation. She played no part in writing their story. Yet she's the one who's going to fix them for a modern audience. For her audience, she has a role to play, apparently. She's going to correct foreign art. She's going to make it conform to her worldview. She doesn't care that she doesn't own it. I mean, after all, ownership. What is ownership other than the patriarchal means of keeping women, minorities, indigenous people, and anyone who isn't cis-normative oppressed? The inconvenient fact that the characters and media in question are created by Japanese authors and artists is no inconvenience at all. She just completely disregards it from the outset. These characters, these stories, no. It's not their fandom, it's my fandom. It's not their audience, it's my audience. These liberal localizers don't respect the source material. They never have. It's a job, but not one they have to do well or correctly. Rather, it's an opportunity to change what they believe is problematic, not what they see for what they see to be correct. When Jamie inserts her own beliefs into a work, She's localizing. She is acting as a censor. She's altering the original work to reflect what she wants society to be. She's showing her audience a vision for the future where censors alter artistic works to reflect policy. Preferably, from her perspective, her policy. This is why we should all be concerned with localizers altering the original works. Jamie's attacking the very concept of free expression and free speech, and she's doing it from a position of assumed authority. She's quick to attack her critics, though. There's not a question she can't deflect, a straw man she can't draw. I hope we aren't too far off from the day when AI replaces these people. Because, let me tell you, there's already some publishers in Japan that have been moving towards... AI, using in-house localizers and translators to look over the work that the AI has done, predominantly it's been done with manga so far, 
with uh, simul- simulcan- uh, simultaneous publications in English and Japanese, but we'll see if it moves over to anime. Hopefully it does. Now, the right to property, because all of this, everything with the localizers, everything with what Jamie does and changing people's work and everything else, this all links back to this. This is why it matters. The right to property is the primordial right from which all other rights are derived. A basic, fundamental right to our own thoughts and words. A right that includes our ability to express our thoughts, to create, to tell a story that's uniquely our own, using our words, experiences, and imaginations. The right to property is the right to self. Every other right that exists comes from a primordial right to the self, a right to property in terms of your own body, your own thoughts, your own speech. These localizers, through their actions and altering someone else's work, are assaulting an individual's right to property. Now, you're never going to hear them talk about it in these terms. No, they're correcting past mistakes. They're updating the work for a modern audience. They're making the work more inclusive, more reflective of modern times. But never do they say what they're actually doing. They're violating someone else's intellectual property rights. They're demonstrating their utter disdain for the creators who invented the stories they profess to love. But it's not about the stories. Same as it isn't about anime localization or manga translation or race-swapping characters from classical literature. These are all symptoms we're seeing here. These are all symptoms of the same disease. And like any disease, you have to identify the symptoms before you can start treating the patient. This is just another front in the leftist assault on property. Here, they're altering the creative works of others but it's no different than attacking the landlord for raising rent or the business owner for not paying employees more or the gun owner for wanting the ability to protect herself. They are all Marxist assaults on private property. The assault on private property is a necessary step in remaking the world. Society at large needs to be convinced that ownership is a societal negative and collectivism is a societal positive. The mantra you oft hear repeated is no one does it alone. A flashy soundbite for sure, but look at what it really says. It's an assault on property, and an assault on property is an assault on the most basic and primordial of human rights, a right to the self. They're coming for your thoughts, as sure as they already come for your entertainment. It's time that people drew a line and yielded no more ground to people like this. It's time to stand up against these constant, never-ending assaults on our rights, because that is exactly what this is. Now, I hope you enjoyed today's show, and I look forward to our next show, where we'll be discussing fundamental rights. I'll be going on vacation for a week, so look for me during the first week of February. Until then, stay ungovernable and misbehave.